0: Right, welcome back. This is uh, Stanford Chidge and I'm joined tonight by uh, birthday boy, Mr. Jonathan Kidd, 21 happy again.
1: Birthday to me, happy
0: birthday to me. <laughs> I, do, I do have to, to say, it, it, doing the shows on Zoom now, we actually get to see, I mean, normally, you know, Jonathan's lunacy is just an oral experience, but it's nice to see it as an audio-visual one as well. Uh, whether Tim is equally enamoured of this, I don't know, but lovely to have Tim Rolls on the show.
2: Always a pleasure.
0: Right Uh, now I'm particularly delighted uh, to say that we've got uh, Tim uh, on the show tonight because of course we've been doing this thing called 50 Years of Chelsea and uh, really uh, the period that we're covering at the moment which is the early 70s is a period that Tim knows very very well largely because he's written a fantastic book on it called Stamford Bridges Falling Down which Jonathan and I have been leaning on heavily to Do this bit of the show, uh, and not only is it a great aid memoir, I mean, bearing in mind Jonathan went to a lot of these games anyway, I was too young, uh, but it really, you know, it's it's it, you just because Tim brings it all together basically, and it's just fantastic, Tim. I'm, I'm gonna start, you know, with the early part of the season, really, which is very much forms the, the, the foundation, no pun intended, uh, for your book, which, of course, this was the season where the East Stand was demolished uh you know pre-season uh as part of uh brian Mears' uh great uh fantastical project as it turned out to have a brand new stadium seating i think 60,000 uh with the possibility to make it 80,000 should the need uh, arise and they were going to have it you know we got the east stand obviously that we all know and love now but it was going to go all the way around wasn't it, it as a wrap round it was a bit like a bit like the azteca stadium in mexico which i didn't know i learned that from reading your book yeah um so the east stands demolished, and the building starts. Um, and reading your book, one of the things that really you kept, as you, as I knew you would, it was it was such a Tim Rolls moment when I kept on seeing this written every kind of third or fourth paragraph. But where was the
2: money coming from? Well, I I think that the hope was that the team would carry on being successful. It was predicated on getting average crowds of forty thousand, and you know you have to bear in mind that. Two years earlier that we'd won the FA Cup, we've won. We've won in um, in Athens, the Cup Winners' Cup. We should have done better the previous season in Europe and what have you. And confidence w- was still pretty high. I mean, in retrospect, the team was starting to creak, uh, and they didn't have the money to, to buy the, the the players they needed. But the season was was set off really. First game at home against Leeds United, so it's on match of the day. Um, One side of the ground doesn't exist, and they haven't tested at all the access to the ground for people going to the far end of the ground and the old north stand, the rickety old north stand. So Chelsea decided in their wisdom, A, not to ask the league to have an easier game, because Leeds was one of the biggest games of the season, and B, not to make the game all ticket. So Secretary Tony Green said, no, it's good to be tested, so we'll be tested, and tested they certainly were. 12,000 people locked out. Leeds team almost didn't get into the game at all. Two Chelsea players almost didn't get in. Crash barriers broke. Um, a, a guy called Brian Gash, who's a Chelsea fan, many of you people listening will know, would certainly recognise some away games, says the most scared he's ever been at a football match. And he's six foot three. So it gives you some idea of, of, of the coast. On the pitch, it was fantastic. Chelsea won 4-0, it was on match of the day. But... Kids had to go on the pitch to escape the crush at the shed end. I'm not, I presume you were there, Jonathan, were you? I was. Where were you? In
1: the, uh, in the, we, we were all transferred to the West Stand. Yeah. They gave us tickets there. And of course, they, it was absolutely chaos because yeah. people nonstop, I was just on the end constantly. Nobody had gone to their seats. So yeah. you spent the first 20 minutes having people, more, more than that. People couldn't get in. The whole of the first half was people coming in and you were up and down standing there looking at people and they built the west stand bizarrely so that the the gangways didn't come straight down they came across at an angle I don't know why they decided that was some kind of trendy thing to do so you were always having your vision obscured if you were near the end of the row by somebody walking across to get down to another seat it was absolutely chaotic I mean that was a design fault that had been there since the '60s, yeah. because everybody had everybody had been uh, transferred to these seats for out of the east stand, there was a kind of I don't know expectation that it was a bit better, and it wasn't. It was revealed to be a really crappy stand. Um, yeah. but, and but yeah. people people could have died in the crush. In yeah, the well, end. well, in, indeed. Well, uh, uh, it was so scary coming around the side. But I, I, it was an era where, as with most of the time, it, it was so many crushes and so many things not working as I've explained to you before the the orient game and the cup game the year before the wall yep. collapsed and and everybody went on the pitch to escape the possibility that everything because and there had been no low no legislation applied to there's been there should have been some kind of legislation saying everybody had to upgrade the grounds because the grounds yep. were all all built in 1905 and nothing had been or earlier there'd been no upgrading of grounds at all and I think Chelsea was a, a perfect example of that. But there was a, what was so awful about it was the that wonderful expectation you get at the beginning of a, of a new season. And you're playing dirty leads, who we all hated. And I keep yeah. going on about this. We, the hatred for Leeds was hugely excessive in comparison with what we think about Tottenham and how we hate Tottenham and all of that rubbish that goes with it. This was an eviscerating kind of, you are, you are aside. That we just don't want to. We would just want to. Everybody wanted to beat them and kick them as much as possible because they were so filthy. Yeah. And uh, um, and yet you would never have seen the team imploding because of Revy's discipline with them in a way that that Chelsea clearly. Um, uh, uh, imploded as the season went on but so we, you go along thinking this is great we're playing Leeds. I wonder what the ground's going to look like because this is going to be the great vision of the future oh we're going to see all oh, that stand will be demolished and what's happened to the north stand I remember going thinking has that been knocked down I oh, know it's still there but it's just it, nobody's in it because it was but it, and, you know, as I said on the show last week um this business about it swaying it shuddered last you know in the in yeah. the previous season, it shuddered all the time. It used to shudder in the 60s. I remember going in there, you could make it shudder. If everybody all stamped at the same time, it, it would all do that. So this wasn't a kind of revel- revelation to us at all. It was, it was it shuddered. So I don't know why they didn't keep it going. It wasn't a, a, a hazard, it was the same structure. Um, but anyway, that was empty, but it was still there, so obviously gonna come down. But then to be greeted by this, this unbelievable throng trying to get in was, Scary, absolutely scary. You, how did you get in? Um, we, well, you had to go around the, the other end, you came in through the main entrance and went round the, the side, you went by the back of the shed, you had to go around and uh, um, attempt to get round that way. I, I, I think you had to go, there, were, there was a bizarre way, you fa- I think you went into the shed and round at the top and then you had to walk over and there, well, there was another kind of stairway at the back and that was really hazardous, getting in, a really hazardous way to get into the Westland because that was kind of, that was shaky. Uh, I can't exactly remember, but it was, it took an eternity. And then you got, luckily I got there quite early, but you get in and then you see this drama unfolding. And once again, this, the, 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 the boys, I suppose, they're given the opportunity to run on the pitch because they're, they're they've, the police are trying to make it look as if, you know, make sure that there aren't any accidents. And some of them, of course, if you look, I've looked at the footage, we've seen the footage of it, which you kindly sent to us, Jid. you get, which is on YouTube. You get lots of kids running onto the pitch and celebrating because they knew they're on telly. So it was, a, it was like it was a kind of, you know, they're trying to get to the front wave at the camera. But, but go, they, were kids. they weren't hooligans. They were kids. No, they exactly. weren't. They were kids. Exactly. But it's the same. It's the same at the Orient game. There were so many kids who were just going out there because for for reasons they weren't rioting, which was the instant anybody goes to the pitch. Chelsea fans riot. Oh, Oh, I got so fed up with it. I but got fed up with it as a Chelsea fan. The
0: upshot, the upshot of, of course, of that was that uh, Chelsea put uh, fencing round with three layers of barbed wire. It was, it was yes. named Stalag SW6 yes. by that's the that, press, wasn't it, Tim? That
2: was the News of the World headline, Stalag SW6. And then Chelsea attempted to say that the contractor had exceeded their remit. <laughs> that's a lie. Or Chelsea was so incompetent. That they didn't actually instruct the contract. the story I missed from the Leeds game was the Chelsea fans who broke into an excavator and got it started. I love that. You know. story. Hang on,
0: so I can't hear you, Tim Jonathan. You made Jonathan laugh so much, we lost you. So, right. so hang on a minute. Let me just re- rephrase. And I remember this from the book. Some Chelsea fans, because basically it was a building site and on one half of the pitch, sure. wasn't it? And they broke into it during the match and there was a, an excavator there yeah. and they, they did what?
2: They got into the excavator and started it. <laughs> Can you believe while the match was going on? These guys got in and, and Chelsea was saying, yeah, it's, it, it's disgraceful and, and we'll have to have an investigation into how it happened. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd imagine there was. I'd imagine the police asked them to have an investigation. I mean, it just summed up the, the whole day. Was a shambles, and the, the good thing was we won four nil against our most bitter rivals.
0: But wasn't wasn't that uh, rather than, you know sorry to be a damp squib on all of this, but we we did beat Leeds four uh, nil, which is joyous at any time. But yep. David Harvey went off early, didn't he, with an injury, which meant Peter Lorimer had to go in goal. Yep. Which 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 so they were playing for, with ten men for a while, which kind of made things slightly easy for us.
2: Yeah, it, it, it did, but it's still. You know, you picked up paper the following day and you said Chelsea 4 Leeds now. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> and, you, know, Revy, you know, Revy, when when Leeds lost, Revy looked ashen-faced, which is always a joy watching. <laughs> completely ashen-faced after that one. So, yeah, fantastic.
0: You know. I mean, you know, it, 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 Chelsea actually, you know, uh, what people forget, I think, which I, I often find interesting, certainly picking up from reading your book, is that, you know, Chelsea had had a, a you know, had been by their standards, really successful for the kind of previous, I don't know, eight years. They were always finishing kind of top five in the league. There was a b- building kind of momentum really wasn't there with the cup win that that, that maybe yeah. helped them break through the ceiling and they could challenge for the title. And ev- every year for the last two years, people were talking about Chelsea as title contenders. And actually, one, one thing that usually scuppered them was their appalling starts to the season. But this was different because actually... Yeah. Their early season form was really good and they had a tough start because they played Leicester away next and they drew one all. They then went to the current champions, Brian Clough's Derby, Derby County, uh, where they won 2-1. They then lost uh, to Liverpool at home. Liverpool ended up being the uh, the champions that season. They beat City at home 2-1 and City, you know, were always there and thereabouts in that period of time. They drew 0-0 with United and they drew one all with Arsenal. So it was a really good start, wasn't it?
2: It was it was a good start, and I think you know beating City. City should have won the league the previous season when Derby did. They they, they threw it away, and you know you look at it, and that starts to the season, beating or playing well against most of the top teams should have set them up for you know a pretty high league league finish. You would have thought looking looking at it there, and they were getting you know the the. The press was pretty positive. The crowds were down. I think, to be honest, the leads what happened with the Leeds game put a lot of people off for a few for a few weeks. And I think Chelsea, that's why Mears put the fences up was to try and attract the fans back. But how I'm does that sure. work? Well, exactly because it was it was you know I think the the, the Stalag SW six headline probably put death but but you know six weeks into the season Chelsea were looking good. Yeah. Jonathan, do you remember? I mean, were you at any
0: of those early ma- matches? Do you remember what the mood was like?
1: Well, well, well I was at all of them, um, uh, other than the away ones. Um, the mood was 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 uh, really optimistic. But I don't know. We, st- I, I've always suffered from that thing of thinking, well, when will the bubble burst? With you know, we were all surprised they'd started off so well. Um, but um, uh, I mean, I just always got the impression that that you were dealing with with several prima donnas even at that period. I just yeah. thought the, the chances were that one of them would throw a hissy fit and not want to play anymore or would dislike. I mean, Hudson spent most of the time complaining about playing right wing. And yeah. I, think, I think that Sexton, um, Sexton found it very difficult to impose any kind of discipline. I mean, to be fair to them, they did suffer a horrendous series of injuries, just seemed to be non-stop injuries, and Hutchinson only came back for... Uh, for a
0: couple of... um Well, that that was really, just to yeah. try to butt in, but that that was really, really sad, wasn't it? Because Ian yeah. Hutchinson, so loved by Chelsea uh, supporters, of course, you know, got the last minute goal against Leeds in the first part of the final in 1970. But he'd been out on and off for about 18 months and then he kind of got himself fit. I can't, Tim, can you remember who he came back against? But he, he literally, two matches later, was out again with a knee injury, wasn't he? That,
2: that December, I think against Norwich... And the crowd was you know, in a league game and the crowd was euphoric. He was, you know, serenaded. And I think he scored and he got, yeah. you know, everything yeah. was fantastic. But, you know, he, he was never <laughs> he, after that play a, a, a long string of games. He had, he was so unlucky. He had knee injuries. He had broken leg. He had all, all sorts. Because he was phenomenally brave, phenomenally brave player. I think people underestimate just how physically Brave he, brave he was and he got kicked, he got kicked every week and you know you, you read match reports and it would be Southampton kicked him, then Burnley kicked him and these, these the, I mean Leeds were dirty, Southampton were actually dirtier and and, and I, the game he when he got his really bad injury in 71 was against Southampton and it's no surprise to me when they had John McGrath, they had Jimmy Gabriel and these people who were just thugs and and they would go and kick the opposition best player, and he was he was our, arguably our best player because he was more consistent than Osgood
1: or Hudson or Cook. He he did it every week. He was very good at laying off, wasn't he? he laid off <laughs> boards for uh, for them. He was a very good yeah. focal point. And of course, his you forget his long throws were a really you know, talismanic way of of adding more pressure because they were really devastating. It was like um, Rory lap in all his. Is 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 genius. It was the same thing. You're creating a, a, a an extra opportunity that normally you wouldn't have. And he could really bung it far post. He was so so terrific a, a well, he, man, And he won the, the, the big match
2: on I T V had a long throw competition, which I think he won. And you know, long throws were were fashionable for a couple of years in the early seventies, but he was probably the best exponent. And he, he was the foil for Osgood, and Osgood said that you know if, if Hutchinson hadn't been injured, he would probably have been he would have been a better player. we'd probably have been a more focused player um you know, but osgood was he had his issues, he was never fit at the start of the season. Hudson was going a little bit off the rails, and we'll, you know as we'll come to in, in a minute, I suspect you know we got rid of Cook and Paddy Mulligan um and the wheels started to
0: come off. Well, that is a a good point, actually, Tim, because, sorry, Jonathan, one of the things I wanted to bring up, which I think is a theme that we touched on last week, Jonathan, isn't it? Is that a lot of the disenchantment with some of the, you know, the better players in the team, so Hudson, Aussie, David Webb, for example, all very ambitious, wanting to capitalise on the success we had and start to get a bit disenchanted with the kind of players that we were bringing in. And, you know, From what I understand, you know, Charlie Cook, bless his heart, was probably getting past his sell-by date. Paddy Mulligan wasn't really getting a regular look-in, although he was a good player. So they they went to Palace, didn't they? Uh, And the only signing we made, really, of any substance that season... I mean, this is the other thing, actually, you know, talking about history, which we are in a way. I love the fact that history always repeats... We play South End, don't we, in, a, in yeah. a League Cup match, and uh, I think we won we, we won one nil, we scraped yeah. through, played like shit, because we were complacent as always. Uh, but playing for South End that day was a striker who, apparently, according to the press, was brilliant in the air, but absolutely rubbish on the ground. And that, that guy was that guy was Bill Garner. So what did Chelsea do? They sign him for 100 grand, don't they, Tim?
2: Well, not, not only that, but West Ham thought they'd got it. But Sexton sort of turned up at first thing in the morning and, and, and signed him. And you know Garner was was an honest player and he was a try. What gets me is when I was researching the book, I discovered that Leicester bought Frank Worthington from Huddersfield a couple of months earlier for eighty thousand, which is twenty thousand less than we pay. Now I'm not. I think Worthington then, you know, Worthington, Osgood and Hudson going out after training probably isn't what would, would wouldn't have been what Sexton wanted. But we we overpaid considering what we got really, and you know he was he was a, he did he worked his socks off Garner, but he wasn't wasn't what we needed. He was partly to replace um, Hutchinson, but I you know he wasn't he wasn't a replacement for Hutchinson. And I think you know we were we were deteriorating. Hudson was stuck out on the wing, you know we had Kemba scuffling Chris Garner. They were decent players, but they weren't the, they weren't top class players. We lost Cook.
1: Tori, can you carry on without me for two seconds? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, right. yeah, and,
2: and I think Selling Cook and, and Mulligan, and it was clear, and it's clear when you read the, the press and you read the, the decent writers, the Hugh McElvenies, the Brian Glanville's, that Chelsea's defense was not good enough. But we did not buy a defender. We sold one, Mulligan, but you know, we still had Dempsey, we had Harris, we had Hinton, all decent players, but they weren't top. We were so reliant on David Webb, and half the time Webb was ended up playing at fullback, or he play, he even you know went in goal in one game in the previous season. So, we, what we should have done probably, rather than bought Garner, was was bought a decent centre half, but we didn't, and we we paid for it that season. We paid for it for the next two. Years. We didn't buy a defender between a, a top player between like 1969. Uh, when we bought Dempsey and David David Hay in the summer of '74, who we actually bought as a midfielder, and the defence wasn't good enough to, to win trophies, and it was obvious in retrospect, and it must have been obvious to Dave Sexton, but the problem was because of the stand, he didn't he didn't really have the money. I think he was given the choice: you can buy a striker or a centre half, and he bought Garner. So there we are.
0: I mean, you know, with the with the benefit of of, of uh, you know hindsight, Tim was this really all down because you know it's, it's very interesting isn't it because th- there has been no really good youth players that have come through for quite a number of years i mean hudson being the last one really yeah. uh, so i mean we all know that sexton was a very good coach uh very good tactically um i mean whether he can be whether he can be praised for his handling of the youth introducing them is a moot point but maybe there just weren't good enough players coming through. But the, I think the real issue here is, did he actually have the money? I mean, I, that question we started with at the beginning of this part, where was the money coming from for the stand? Nobody seemed to know. Um, although the club always denied it, I, I, I always get the feeling he, he, he had two hands tied behind his back when it came to transfers.
2: Absolutely. They kept saying, oh, no, the money's available for the right players. But it, but it wasn't. Um, yeah, they, they clearly needed to strengthen the back. Uh, they clearly needed, you know, Cook went, so they, they would over reliant on Peter Houtsman as a winger, which is why they had to play Hudson wide. You know, I mean, they went mad. The previous season bought Garner, sorry, Garland and uh, Kemba and had to sell Weller as a result. Um, the money that they got for Cook and um, Mulligan sort of paid for, paid for Garner, but they weren't generating the money to pay for the stand and strengthen the team. Other other teams were strengthening, and Chelsea weren't. We were occasionally linked with players, but they, they were never serious. We were linked with George Best, you know, but that was never going to happen because we couldn't afford to have paid his wages. Now it would have filled the ground for a while, so it may have worked in the short term. But I think, you know, I don't think a three-year contract. I don't think they could afford. They just didn't have the, the money. We we were selling club under Doherty and we were selling club under Sexton. You know, other clubs had, you know. The Moors money in the, in, you know, Liverpool, Everton getting getting money from there. Wealthy people at Tottenham putting money in. You know, the Mears families did a lot of great things for Chelsea, but they they were never we were never able to to fund the level of of of, of money going in. I mean, I think in the late sixties they did they let us. But David Webb was one of the best signings Chelsea ever made. John Dempsey was a good signing, but we weren't allowed to build on Athens. We got weaker after Athens when we sold Weller and we should have got stronger. And that was the mistake that was made. Because if they had got stronger, particularly at the back, they could have competed for the league in 72 and 73. But as as we know, things went things went in the opposite direction.
0: Well, I- indeed. I mean, in fact, <clears throat> you know, we just talked about the South End South match kind of obliquely, which was in September. Uh, I mean, Chelsea's run of form, really, uh, up until the... Uh, what we're going to talk about next, which is the League Cup semi-final against Norwich, was actually pretty good. I mean, we had a bit of a shocker against West Ham and Sheffield United. Yeah. True. But, you know, we we had that habit of not turning up. But we then went on a run. I mean, we, we had one, two, three, four, five, six wins and one, two, three draws until we lost again, which was up at... Anfield at Liverpool, who, as we know, became champions that year, and we had a we had an incredibly weak side out that day. I mean, Steve Shaw played, didn't he? Because he
2: he did, and he played well.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, Bonetti. Sorry to interrupt. Bonetti got a really nasty injury against Bury, hadn't he, in the League Cup, which kept him out for two months.
2: He got kicked in the stomach, ironically, by a colleague from the England '66 World Cup squad, John Canelli. It was an accident, but he got really badly hurt and. The thing, that people probably don't realise about Bonetti is just how many injuries he had. He had pneumonia,
0: yeah, with the before Athens, wasn't it? In, in
2: 1971, you know, he was a very very brave player. Um, and, and Sherwood came in because I think John Phillips was was injured as well. Um, but you know, that stage we did look still like we could be a top four top four club and maybe qualify qualify for Europe, as we know that. Sort of things. Things sort of went downhill from there. But we well, were still in the League Cup. You know, we 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 got we got to the semi final, and we had Norwich City at home, who were you know they weren't a great team. They uh they, they actually got they finished twentieth that season, so they almost got got relegated. And we played them the week before when Hutchinson came back, and and they had a bloke called Jimmy Bone, who was a Scottish player, came I think from Partick Thistle. Who was good against us in the league, and papers were saying, "Oh, Chelsea have got to watch Bone." Unfortunately, they didn't, because in the first ten minutes, Bone scored in the in the game, the first leg at Stamford Bridge. Bone scored, and he made the other for David Cross, and we lost the game two 0 And and that, I think, some people see that as as another of these sliding doors moments. If we'd beaten Norwich, if we'd won that game and gone through to the League Cup final, then maybe things would have would have got better. The crowds would have improved. You know the money situation wouldn't have been as bad, but we were outthought and outfought by a by a, basically a mediocre Norwich side.
0: I mean that was bizarre, wasn't it? That semi final anyway, because you know the second leg up at uh, Carrow Road, we were putting up a bit of a fight. It has to be said we were three two down. We still yeah. would have been going out, and and then uh, it got called off for fog. I mean it got delayed, didn't it? And. The ref decided to call it off and then 15 minutes after he decided to call it off, the fog cleared and Norwich were absolutely incandescent with yeah. rage, weren't they?
2: They were incandescent. I think Sexton was, was photographed laughing, you know, because he couldn't <laughs> how, how lucky we were. But the fact was, we were, you know, we, we did fight that day, but, you know, we, so we were lucky. So we got a second chance, you know, a week later or whatever, but unfortunately we didn't take... We didn't take the second chance, you know, and, and it, it was so disappointing. I think because you know, the League Cup was there for the taking. I think Norwich played Spurs in the final, and Spurs were no were no great shakes. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a particularly sort of quality ridden ridden team, and you know, so we ended up just early in the new year. And we were we were falling in the league. which I guess I haven't got the figure in front of me, but I suspect we were about eighth in the league. And we're
0: out of the League Cup, so we only had the FA Cup. Now, um, just before we get into the FA Cup, Tim, I just want to, you know, go, because you talk about the sliding doors moment. And, and that's yeah. something that I did pick up from the book hugely. And, and it kind of occurred to me, I thought that, you know, the, 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 the paragraph or the sentence that you put in there really resonated with me, which was this would be the last major semifinal for Chelsea for 12 yep. years. And, and, and I, you talk about a sliding doors moment. And I and I kind of wondered, you know, in, in, in a sense, was that the end, that match, that moment, was that the end for the Kings, the Kings roadside?
2: Well, I, I think it probably was because we never, we never got that far again. And all the, the ones who, who thrived on the adulation of the big games and everything, we just didn't have any big games. And I think, you know, I think, Sexton was bitterly, bitterly disappointed because he obviously thought, you know, we were on a, on, on a way to Wembley. And to think, you know, all the pain we had to go through before the semi final against Sunderland in 85, you know, there were, there were two relegations, there was, you know, the terrible, terrible player, you know, team we had and, and what have you. So, so not two, relegations, just one relegation. But at that point, I'm sure before the Norwich game, before the first game, everyone thought, well, you know, they're here for the taking. You know, this is Wembley again. And we didn't go to Wembley in a, in a major cup final till, you know, 1994. So, uh, yeah, it was it was bitterly disappointing. Mm. Well,
0: on that highly disappointing note, we're going to make it worse in a minute. We're going to have a quick break, then we'll come back and we're going to pick it up again. And uh, as Tim was mentioning, we still had the FA Cup to fight for uh, and uh, we ended up playing Arsenal. And we'll tell you all about that after this break.
1: Fans' real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Fancast.com.
0: All right, welcome back. This is Stanford Chidge, and this, of course, is the Chelsea Fancast. Uh, we seem to have lost the birthday boy, uh, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. I do not quite know where he's gone, uh, but there you go. And I've got Tim Rolls with me. I still think I've got Tim Rolls with me. although he's his... Oh, I have. Your, your screen disappeared,
2: Tim. And I'm, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm I'm just looking up uh, a very small print in, in Rick Danville and Paul Duffin's book on that season, just seeing the, the, the games that are coming up.
0: Well, I've uh, well, I've got, they're, they're all in the notes I sent. You You don't need to refer to that yeah. book. My prints bigger as well. I, I've got a lovely view of your very impressive CD collection. Thank you. That's all right. Any time. Um, now, uh, you know, we, we're the, the joyously. I have to say, I, I really enjoy looking back at these seasons. And, and you know, I was far too young to have been around then, um so for me it's a real education as is of course your stunning book which which features these seasons very very heavily um now before uh, we uh g- carry on i should I should also say one of the things that I've also enjoyed equally is doing these podcasts with some of these guys who were playing in these matches, the chelsea specials uh and and talk and, and <clears throat> it's also fascinating hearing what they had to say about a lot of these mass uh, matches, and it bears out a lot of what you said in the book. So it's a it's a lovely way to square that circle. And by the way, people um, like Tim's books. You know, it's a good time if if you're stuck with nothing to do at the moment to to delve into Tim's books. Equally, uh, you know, the podcast that I did with those boys. I mean, we did Kerry Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper, Tommy Balbin, Johnny Boyle, Johnny Bumstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates, Canners, and of course Danny. Uh, Danny Harkins, Eccles, of course. Uh, now you could download them all uh, at chelseaspecial.podbean.com. dot podbean.com uh, It's two quid ninety nine for each one. Uh, it's a small price to pay, less than a, cost, a cup of cup of Costa coffee, which you can't even get at the moment because they're shut. So, so spend your money that you would have had on a coffee on downloading these, uh, and it's easy to. do. Once you go to chelseaspecial.podbean.com, there's a a page there that lists all of the podcasts, and you click on the one you want single episode now takes you straight through to the pay uh, the the pay point which i think is via credit card or paypal but there you go uh, i commend them to you you can also follow us on twitter at chelsea underscore special and the chelsea special on facebook your books are easy to get hold of aren't they tim
2: yeah i mean you can get them on amazon you can get them through ebay um and if you want if, if you i mean I, I if you do it through ebay i, I can sign them and they're thirteen. The paperback's thirteen quid as opposed to fifteen on Amazon. But you can get the ebook on Amazon, whatever whatever suits you.
0: Right, good stuff. Uh, and they they really are excellent, so I commend them to anybody. Now we we were talking, you know, about uh, very disappointingly going out of the League Cup uh, at the semi-final stage against Norwich. You know, undoubtedly we would have been favourites probably to win the competition, let alone beat Norwich. Um, we're still in the FA Cup, of course, at this stage, so that becomes the one competition. Which we really have a sniff at. And we get through uh, against Brighton pretty hard fought match. I think uh, Chopper got sent off in that, didn't yeah, he? Yeah,
2: he, he got sent off. He him and a bloke called Eddie Spirit sort of got sent off. The papers described as seventeen minutes of madness. Basically I think Brighton realised they were they were going out and decided to just kick kick lumps out of Chelsea and Harris didn't wouldn't take it anymore, you know? <laughs>
0: Uh, exactly, but uh, well, unlike Chopper, of course, really people give him a bit of a bad rep for that. But he he very rarely did something like that, so he must have been. Uh, I think he he appealed, didn't he? Because he, he said did that
2: appeal, Yeah, but he he very rarely got sent off Ron Harris. I know there were far less sending offs in those days, and he did do some some bad tackles. But he wasn't. You know, there were people, Ian Eura of Arsenal, Dennis Law, people like that, were sent off far more than uh, than Ron Harris was.
0: Indeed. Um. So we just we dismissed Brighton. Uh, we dispatched Ipswich at home, uh, fairly simply. Um, and they were a decent side in those days. And then we beat Sheffield Wednesday away from home. I think Bill Garner was sent off in that one, wasn't he? A lot of sendings off in the game. It was
2: with, with John Holesgrove. The referee said, after they kicked each other six times each or something, I had enough and sent them off. I think that game, the, the Chelsea support, as I, I mean, I wasn't there, but I know people who were, the, the Chelsea support that day was was phenomenal. Because they all thought, you know, this is our chance. We can get there. To Sheffield Wednesday were deep. They weren't a great side, but they were a decent side to win that. And then t- the draw on the Monday, Monday lunchtime, against Arsenal. And then suddenly, it's the biggest game at Stamford Bridge for years. And you know, the the excitement. And of course, the ground only held forty thousand. So Chelsea quite rightly made it all ticket. It. it was done on CCTV um, because. The demand was so high that the, the FA and the Football League never let games go on CCTV in cinemas, but they did that one because they realised that the demand was so enormous. You had forty thousand at Sanford Bridge, Arsenal. It's, it's on match of the day. I think it was match of the day, not a big match. And you know, it was it was a great game, and Peter Osgood got one of those great goals. If you just go into YouTube and Google, and, and just key in Osgood Arsenal. 1973 and it's, it's it's just his finish is superb and he that was one of the games it was a big game and he he responded accordingly and that was one of the great things about Oscar. he did usually respond in the big games
0: he did indeed i mean it is it's such a famous goal i mean he absolutely clouted it from outside the area and it went in like an set um and of course it was it was the bbc it was it was david coleman so there was lots yeah. of one nil Yep. One all, two one. It was fantastic, classic. Uh, and I actually, I watched it as you know because I, I found all the clips for yep. us to have a look at before we did the show today. And uh, I, I, re- I forgot how economical Coleman was with his commentary. Coleman's commentary was basically just to say the name of the player that it, it had just been passed to, until somebody scored. At which point he would go one nil or just read the score. Yep. Uh, and I just, I mean, and it sounds crap, but actually, it's perfect.
2: It worked very well. It worked very well.
0: Why say any more? Yeah. All this inanities that modern day commentators come out with. But there you go. So Aussie scores a great goal. Um, Johnny Hollins scored a decent goal that day as well, didn't he? He
2: did. He did. And, and what people forget is that Hollins was an ever present for three or four seasons in a row in the early 70s. And the other thing people forget is that he, he Bonetti and Webb were actually the key players in the team. The key players weren't so much Osgood and Hudson. The people who did it week in, week out were Hollins, Webb, and, and Bonetti. And you know, Hollins—I don't think he's ever really got the praise that he that he deserves. But he was—he was every week. He worked his socks off, and, and to score against it. Of course, the irony is: two years, well, three years later, whatever he was playing for, playing for Arsenal. But that that game—you know—got a two-all draw. Obviously, they they were disappointed. But then you go to Arsenal. Sort of three, four days later for for the replay. Enormous crowd. I think it's 62,000 or
0: something. something. like that.
2: Something 65. Yep. Sorry, 62,700. Loads and loads and loads of Chelsea fans there. And Chelsea take the lead. You know, he, he, Peter Housman, I think, scored after about 10 minutes. But the, the game will be remembered for one thing. And the one thing is the, the, the penalty where... Um, Steve Kemba brought down George Armstrong and it was in the box. The referee gave it outside the box. And in those days, there was obviously no VAR and all everything, but Alan Ball and Frank McClintock were senior Arsenal players, complained to the ref, complained to the ref, and he changed his mind and referees never changed their minds. And McClintock admitted afterwards that we knew the ref basically, if we shouted at him long enough, there was a chance he'd changed his mind. So, And Arsenal scored that, and then Ray Kennedy scored. So Chelsea went out, and they were robbed. And it was a huge fuss in the paper. Even Jimmy Hill, who was no fan of Chelsea, said how Chelsea were robbed because they were. I mean, if if Chelsea, if Chelsea had got that game, you know, Chelsea managed to get a win out of that game, it would have transformed their season. It would have transformed the club the crowds would have been higher. We'd have had the money from the semi-final and Arsenal played Sunderland in the semi-final, which they lost. But Sunderland weren't a great side either. And, you know, if Chelsea got that sort of money, then it would obviously have helped financially when the, when the, sort of this, when the shit hit the fan going forward. It, and they would have potentially been European football. So it, it would have transformed, potentially transformed the club. But we lost and we were out and the season was basically dead.
0: Yeah, I mean again reading it it it, it, it seemed like the, the you know as you as you kind of articulated there that was if if Norwich the Norwich semi you know wasn't the end of the kings of the kings roadside then that Arsenal match really really was and I think the other thing that comes through of course is the fact that it kind of showed us really that uh, you know that we needed to spend money if we yeah. were if we were to actually you know capitalize on the potential that that squad had but basically the money wasn't available again and as you say after that point it became increasingly unavailable and it's it's funny how it works doesn't it it's kind of a vicious circle tim yeah uh and and, and chelsea seemed to be very much caught up in in that in that vortex um after that, our season basically, you know, capitulated, didn't it? I mean, we yeah. we went on a terrible run of form. Um, in fact, actually, we lost one, two, three, four, five, f- five matches on the trot, uh, and and slipped down the table. There were points at the, t- at the in in the in the running where, I mean, you could if we hadn't won, I can't remember the match now, but if we hadn't won one match, we might have uh, we might have been in the relegation zone.
2: Yeah, I think you know, beating Southampton late on. Sort of That's it. Me. But you know. We, we went you know from being top three or four at the start of the season we finished sort of 12th, and and we were we weren't exactly in free fall but we were the, the i think the morale had gone i think hudson admitted himself that by then he his motivation had gone we'd lost cook who was our most our most skillful player osgood was was be more difficult. We didn't have the flair. Hutchinson was injured most of the time. We were over-reliant on Garland and Garner. And, you know, and we had weaknesses, to be blunt, you know, the, 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 there was an argument for replacing the entire defence apart from Webb because they weren't good enough. But the, the the money wasn't there, so they had to soldier on with Harris and Dempsey and Hinton uh, uh, and these guys. And the the kids, uh, the, the, the one asset, the sort of the plus that season was the emergence, excuse me, of Gary Locke came through at right back when Mulligan went and stayed in the team. And he was, he was a fine young player. He was you know, he was, he, after Hudson, he was the first one to, to come through and cement his place. And he was excellent, but he was playing, playing with blokes who weren't that good, who were, who were in decline, who were injury prone. Um, And there was a motivational issue. With, with some of the better players you know the, the supposedly better players so it, it was a difficult time Eddie McCready was, I mean he, he played most games that season but he was you know after that he was increasingly injury prone he was getting on the team the team wasn't getting better the club needed the team to get better to pay to, to, to get the 40,000 crowds in 40, to, to help pay for the stand and the team was getting worse you only have to look at those, that run of you know it was about one win in 11 towards the end of the season you know
0: which was, I think, amongst the the worst runs that, that Sexton had on his yeah, Chelsea management. Yeah, and, and in fact, actually, our finish of 12th was the worst finish we'd had, I think, since 1962. Yeah. Which which shows you that, you know, for various reasons, which I'll get into in a minute, this was a team in decline. But before we do that, there was obviously the final match of the season, which meant absolutely diddly squat, not, zilch, nada, nothing, which was a match... Against Chelsea versus Man United, which, funnily enough, was uh, fifty hang on forty-seven years ago tomorrow on the twenty-eighth of April, nineteen seventy-three. But it is incredibly memorable for one very special occasion. It was actually Bobby Charlton's uh, last football match in the game, certainly for Man United anyway. And uh, the stadium was absolutely rammed. And uh, I mean, were you, were you there, Tim?
2: No, I, I wasn't there. No, in those days, I, I did very few games I just couldn't afford to go. Um, but it was, it was, I mean, Chelsea did it very well. They did a presentation before the match. Um, I think Brian Nears gave him a, bizarrely, a cig- an inscribed cigarette case, but it was done very well. It was on television. It was in all the papers. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Bobby. Ch- what people forget is how loved Bobby Charlton was. You know, apart from winning the World Cup, he'd survived Munich. He scored two goals when Man United won the European Cup. And he wasn't just loved by United fans. He was loved by everybody. And I, I think you don't get that these days, where a player is so loved. And I don't think, you know, Chelsea fans chanted his name after the game. You just wouldn't get that now. And Yeah. Um,
0: no, I was going to say I saw the footage again, and and that was absolutely clear that all all, all three sides of of the ground were were absolutely chanting yeah. Bobby Charlton's name. It was uh, very emotional. It, it clearly seemed like that, um, uh, and remarkable a remarkable thing to see actually because as I said, football is so completely different now. Yeah, I mean the the other thing, of course, to remember uh, was uh, that. Peter Osgood was the party pooper because he scored the winner in a 1-0 in a win. And, of course, it, it basically – this is also a very famous image for me growing up as a kid because it was always used on things like the big matches, title sequences and stuff. But it basically bounced off his shin and went in. Really scrappy goal. And he kind of, like, ends up in the net, falls on his knees apologetically and kind of shrugs to the shed end, doesn't yeah,
2: he? Yeah, he's, he's laughing. Yeah, I mean, he realises the sort of uh, – because the game didn't actually matter to us at all. The game mattered – because of Bobby Charlton, and I'm sure even some Chelsea fans would have loved it if Charlton had done one of his thirty yard specials. Although to be honest, he was probably three years, sort of three or four years past his best. But it was it was probably just as well. It was Man United, and it was him because the crowd was forty four thousand. Because a, re- and a a crowd a couple of weeks earlier against Stoke was nineteen thousand. So wow. It how it showed how things had, had, had slipped. But that because it was Man United, who always brought loads of fans. and and there was always a huge huge interest in them. And you you chuck into Bobby Charlton. So I think Chelsea did it pretty well. Brian Mears did it pretty well. You know, it was his last game. Charlton seemed genuinely touched with the uh, presentation. Because it wasn't like today where they do you know, these things are more common. I don't think Charlton necessarily expected it to happen.
0: Indeed. Um so there you go. So that was that was the 1972-73 season, probably the most disappointing season Chelsea had had for nine on 10 years. Yep. Um, there are so many issues around this season, Tim, to kind of summarise. Um, and I shall, I shall pose this question. I mean, you know, inconsistent form, inconsistent team selections, much of that, of course, possibly down to a ridiculous amount of injuries. I think something we used 28 players throughout the season, um lack of goals uh i think it's the lowest uh you know i mean usually the midfield chipped in but just to give you a bit of an example osgood was the top scorer with 17 but he'd scored he'd scored he'd scored 31 goals a few years before so you know uh chris garland got 14 Bill Garner got 10 uh johnny Hollins, who'd scored loads of goals before he got four Hudson didn't score any. So there's a, a lack of goals was also a big problem for the side, I think. Hudson
2: um, at the start of the season with Osgood. That he that's scored, right. He, was a fiver that he scored ten goals that season. He scored none. Because he his he, his motivation had gone. And you know Sexton was on at him and on at him to shoot more. But I mean, for whatever reason, he didn't he didn't score any at all. And we were we were yeah, we just didn't have we were, we were too reliant on Osgood, and he only actually scored 11 in the league. He got six in other competitions, But you're not going to come anywhere in the league if your leading scorer's got 11 goals, you know.
0: Well, indeed. I mean, it's actually interesting talking about Hudson, isn't it? Because, when I mean, he had a poor season. He got increasingly frustrated, and he actually put in a transfer request, didn't he, at the end of the season. So that that season really was the beginning of the end for Hudson, wasn't it?
2: It, it was, and I think, you know, you'll you'll come to this next week the, the things got a lot worse. But I think it was the beginning of the end for, uh, for Hudson. I think that the, the team, you know, Webb, I mean, Webb was a, a totally wholehearted player, but I think a number of them, you know, were looking around seeing that the team wasn't getting any better. They were good youngsters, but they weren't, they were a couple of years away from being ready to, to come into the side, of the Ray Wilkins, Gary Stanley, you know, Ian Britain played a few games that season. Um, but you know the, the, the kids weren't ready to come in. The the ones who did so much under McCready sort of three or four years later. So I think that you know, the, the, the dissent was there. There was a they went on tour to Iran that summer, uh, and I don't know the ins and outs. But Rick Rick Glanville wrote somewhere that uh, you know that it was a oh yeah, it's in in Rick Rick and Paul um, Paul Dutton's book when the end-of-season tour of Iran became a boozy, bad-tempered nightmare for Sexton, the die was cast. So the season ended and they, they went off to Iran. And, uh, you know, which was an interesting place to go, even in uh, 1973. But, uh, yeah, even... Yeah, Sexton, obviously, you know, he tried... He, he was a nice guy. He, he, he was a brilliant coach, but he didn't like dealing with conflict. And, obviously, he had... Particularly with Oldsgood and Hudson, but he had, uh, he had and, you know, and Baldwin as well. People, strong personalities who, who didn't like the sort of sergeant major routine. That, well, Sexton liked the players like uh, Peter Houseman, Bernetti and Hollins, who were family men and went home to their families after training. What he didn't like was those who spent the afternoon in the restaurants and bars of the King's Road.
0: Hus- uh, well, which was Hutchinson, Osgood, Cook, Hudson, yeah. and Bourbon. That was the afternoon yeah. drinking club, wasn't it? It was. Um, just going back to Ozzy and and Hudson. I mean, there were rumours, weren't there, all season? Not, not. I mean, I know we we mentioned that uh, Ch- uh, Georgie Best was you know Chelsea bound, and of course, the reality was is that there's no way we could have possibly afforded him. But there was also talk of swaps, wasn't there? Osgood for Best, or Hudson for Best, or I mean, also Rodney Marsh was 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 uh, touted as a uh, a possible acquisition as well or or swap which I find really hilarious given that it was Marsh that was keeping Aussie out of his uh, out of the England team
2: yeah well it was interesting with um, with Marsh because he'd gone from QPR to Man City to win them the league and they hadn't won the league and he hadn't settled in there and I think they was thinking that maybe if you got him back to London he could he would turn it on again and maybe it was time to move Aussie on and talk of you know swapping Osgood for for best but you know Jonathan you know will talks about the, the modern era of, of transfer rubbish, the amount of rubbish written about Osgood and Hudson and Best and Marsh in the in the sort of 1972, 19th was unbelievable, literally. It's like, oh, we haven't got much news today, so let's write a George Best is off to London story. It's, it's, <laughs> jo- Jonathan would have had a field day too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was just astonishing. And it all had one thing in common. It was rubbish, you know. <laughs> there's
0: just a couple of things that uh that i want to touch a couple of loose ends that i want to tie up really tim the first one is the uh the the which i forgot all about actually I mean, we should really incorporate this to a lot of the chats we do about these seasons but we had the, the red hung what i call the hungary kit so a red shirt white shorts and green red and, and white socks which i saw us playing a few times from the clips that i got that was amazing what was that
2: all about i i to be honest Kits aren't my aren't my speciality. There's others who, who know better than me, but I think they they did do some nice imaginative away kits in the um, in the early and mid seventies. You know, they they seventy six seven. They had the green and the one and the red one. So I think it was just an attempt to be to be a bit different. And of course, when you saw that on match of the day when we were playing away in the FA Cup, it did look it did look pretty impressive. It did but indeed. Uh, might know more to be honest.
1: Jonathan, anything about the red away kit? Um, um, no, I just remember it emerging and it looking excellent um, because it was such a weird thing to have, considering uh, it bore no relation to any of the colours that the, the, the team normally had. Very uh, bizarre. I went to the, uh, uh, the Sheffield Wednesday Cup game away and rather foolishly stood in the Cop, um, the, the, the Sheffield Wednesday Cop, and managed to keep completely quiet till, Ghana, um, till the second goal was scored. I can't remember who scored the second goal. Ghana scored the first, I think. I and mean, Oscar scored the second goal, I think. And um, myself and my mate leapt in the air and were looked upon. And I thought we're going to be hit, aren't we? I thought we've made a very foolish decision to, to leap up here. But um, um, we were we, we we looked younger than we looked younger than we were. And I think they took pity on us because we were very quite little. Him and my mate, me and my mate. Um, uh, but no, I think we played in the yellow and blue one as well. I got that impression that season that that was still a still a fixture. Perhaps it was considered the third kit. I mean, I'd like to know who who set that up, the whole process of buying those kits, because that was a really, um, a really outstanding in the sense that it stood out. Yes. Kit, I just thought that was unbelievably impressive. I mean, who would decide to wear a Hungry kit? Unless, of course, what? the person who who, did, who who somebody sponsored it was from Hungary. There's always that possibility. But You never God. know in those kind of strange times of all them searching for money. Um, uh, but yeah, we thought there was going to be a great cup run, didn't we? And uh, um, and unfortunately, I was present also at the Arsenal away game with the ridiculous refereeing decision.
2: Yeah, I've, I've covered the uh, the penalty that wasn't. And yeah,
1: with with, uh, I, with with bringing it all back, Tim. That's the, as I keep saying to you the the horror of reading your fantastic books, which are really so brilliantly written. And I really do emphasise anybody listening to this, it really is worth reading Tim's stuff because he. It makes you feel you're there. And it just, particularly in my point when I was there, and I'm led through this quagmire of awfulness, of uh, these things coming back to me, of this this penalty that never took, never was. And we're all going, what oh, fuck's sake, what, what's going on? Of course it wasn't a penalty, oh God. And entirely, I remember saying to the people I was with uh, watching, that he's been persuaded by McClintock. Bloody yes. McClintock yes. has persuaded the referee to consult and change the Change his decision, and we thought it was absolutely horrendous. It was well, one thing I wanna
0: wanna, which we haven't talked about, which I'm I, I wonder if Jonathan would have been at this match. In fact, maybe she was his guest and not Jimmy Hill's, Tim. And that's yeah, bizarrely. Uh, well, Jimmy Hill invited Raquel Welch uh to Stamford Bridge to watch a game. She was part of a documentary, I believe, but it's quite a story, isn't it, Tim?
2: It is quite a story. I mean, Hang on a
0: minute, before we start it, for those of you who are under 50, Raquel Welch was probably the preeminent kind of supermodel actress type of her time, wasn't she, Tim?
2: She was indeed. And we were playing Lester and she was Jimmy Hill's guest. And they were sitting, I think, in the old North Stand. And, but it was, it was all, there were the two biggest self-publicists in England at the time, were Raquel Welch and Jimmy Hill. So you put the pair of them together. One had a
0: prominent chin.
2: Yeah, indeed. I'm not, yeah, I won't go any further with that one. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> anyway, she was there, the TV cameras were on her. Chelsea thought it would be good PR, but, you know, she left, I think with about half an hour to go and walked along the, the touchline because the uh, East stand had been demolished and was sort of shouting, come on Aussie with the cameras on her. And you, you know, it was it was just a complete nonsense, and and I think the the, the fact the TV liked it because the big match showed it obviously because Jimmy Hill worked for ITV, and yeah, you know, they all liked it. But the, they got slaughtered. Chelsea got slaughtered in the press for this trivialisation and using the whole thing. It was to publicise her new film Annie Calder or whatever it was, and and Hill got really upset. No, no, she's a real football fan, and it was more to her than just publicity. And it, I mean. It got a load of publicity for Chelsea, but I mean, others may have a different take, Jonathan, but it didn't seem to be like particularly good publicity. It's no, just I, embarrassing, you
1: know. No, I agree completely. And I remember I was there, but it was all because she walked down from the north stand down by yeah. the old east stand. It was too yeah. far away because we were in the west stand. So we were trying to work out what was going on, actually. I remember saying, oh, it's, oh is, is it Rackle Welsh? We're all going, is it Rackle Welsh? Is that Jimmy Hill there? Because we're, 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 say, the other side of the pitch. We're halfway up the west stand. Um, but yeah it was uh, it, it sort of went I and mean, then the game carried on and we we just watched it but it was a kind of distraction but as a fan there it wasn't i think they were saying um uh, uh, some people were saying it was a uh, it was you know hugely distracting for the players but I, I i got the impression that they were quite pleased to see her actually i don't think it was wasn't distracting in a in a negative way you know they went <laughs> oh, who's that who's that rather attractive model on the side you know um, who looks like Rachel Welsh um it was some um, yeah, it was just an incident, and she just wandered down the side of the pitch for about five minutes. And uh, but, but and, she got photographed in a Chelsea shirt. Yeah, and, she did. Ultimately, yeah, of course she
2: was. The
1: idea was that Oscar was supposed to have had an affair with her, but I thought that was yeah, a load of rubbish.
2: Yeah, and, that was that. that was me lonely, lonely at yeah. the time. I think Hugh McIlvenny, poor sort of, who was who was probably the preeminent journalist at the time. I think he 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 rubbished that one. He said it was just a publicity stunt for her and for Hill, which it was. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah,
0: well, there you go. Classic Chelsea in many respects, uh, and uh, I mean, an interesting season, even though it was ultimately disappointing. But uh, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed that trip down memory lane, Tim. I mean, not we've Jonathan and I have been saying on the show. Just absolutely loved reading your book, but to have you on the show talking about it as well, with the the, the pool of knowledge that you've gained. Uh, from being from being around, you know, around then, and also, you know, writing the book has been absolutely brilliant. So, thank you very, very much.
2: You're very welcome.